Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. All right, a more challenging macro backdrop anticipated for equity markets in 2024. Will the market rally broaden this year? What are some expectations? Will a soft landing bring the gains that you're expecting? Soft landing in the US. Well, Swatmil Mishra joins us. He's founder of Wealth Zen and adjunct mentor from Singapore Management University, also author of a great new book out there that'll help all beginner investors. We'll talk about it in a while. Uh, it's got a very long title, Swatmil. Remind me again. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Investing for the clueless, the reckless, and overly cautious. That's it. Isn't, don't all of us have a little bit of that in us? Well, welcome, Swapnil. First up, you know, a lot of people have been wondering. Uh, it's the it's still the first year of the month, and people are wondering if there is an investment outlook at all that we can start to build, even at this point of the year. So give us an overview of global markets and what do you make about where we are coming out of a pretty rough 2023? Actually, if you see uh, 2023, uh, one of the main learnings from that year has been to, if you didn't stay invested for at least some po- significant or meaningful portion of your portfolio, you missed the the rally that you saw in you know S&P or even the tech sector. So staying invested, that was one uh, which kind of a clear winner for last year, at least for some portion of the portfolio. The second was the buy and hold strategy. So the entire fear of recession and the, the negative news, so a lot of long-only managers actually underperformed their benchmarks because mm-hmm. they chose to stay out of the market. So it'll be interesting to see that at this point of time, how many investors are actually sitting on gains because they stayed invested and how many are have kind of missed that bus and are now wondering that, is it too late for me to enter? You know, So that's, I think, the, the dilemma for the uninvested portion is, is it too late and I would say it's definitely something which has to be done. So staying in cash increasingly will become an unattractive position this year. Mm. So that's, I would say that is the, you know, my foundational uh, thesis is that uh, it will become unattractive for multiple reasons. Which we'll get into. Uh, last year, we did a Halloween show, what was Spooking Markets, and we talked about multiple bank failures. Um, and, you know, that left a lot of consumers and investors wondering where their cash would best be deployed. Can you talk to us a little bit about the trends that you're seeing in terms of where people are hopeful in terms of parking their money today? So in terms of broad-based market, one asset class which is making a comeback is fixed income. So we saw asset class like fixed income last three years took a severe beating, even the conservative, even the investment grade, you know, it didn't matter which kind of bond you were holding, but there was a high likelihood that your bond portfolio or your, you know, any mutual fund or ETF that you're holding was down five. 3%, 10%, something which you don't, uh, you know, fixed income plays a role of stability and it really challenged investors as to whether fixed income has, has a role to play or not. I think that's one sector which is definitely making a comeback over the last uh, three months to six months it has started. But now the confidence in that is much higher. And the real reason for that confidence for fixed income is one, it pays coupon, it provides stability. Second is that Fed is not fighting inflation with its, you know, back to the wall. I think Fed has, you know, uh, thankfully because of the, the way inflation inflation has toned down or at least given a breathing space, the uh, pause is seen as a positive enough outcome for 
a positive outlook for the fixed income sector so as a sector as an allocation uh, i would say fixed income as one uh, sector uh, then you have of course uh, thematic sectors you know you have your small caps which again for the last 3 years in the rising interest rate environment they take a severe beating and uh, we are seeing that also turn around where small caps will start uh, getting some traction and attraction in terms of investors. Can we just dig into that key conviction for 2024 and that's fixed income and its place um, in portfolios, its prominence uh, for this year. Why do you believe that fixed income could be king amongst the sort of rate expectations that we're, see- we're anticipating for this year? So, I mean, do you think the markets are going to have to absorb a higher supply of bonds? Uh, I think it's also to do with the Fed policy. So there'll be one political pressure which will be there on Fed because it's an election year to ease rates faster and prioritize business growth and stability. So that's one pressure that is going to be there. The way today the equity market is has priced in the market, it has priced in a perfect soft landing. Right now the equity market is pricing in that. In case of fixed income, we haven't seen that kind of you know there's still some element of uncertainty. However, even if the interest rates stay here and if they you know the the pause continues and we don't see any significant rate cut mm-hmm. even then in an absolute level in terms of yield it is it is a risk worth taking in a portfolio and at the same time if the rate cuts start happening then your cash deposits are going to become unattractive very quickly mm-hmm. you know you drop from 5% to suddenly 3 3.5% and then the gap between a bond giving you 6% and a cash giving you 3% becomes material enough and these factors i think are going to play a role um, and, and i would say there's a third factor that may come in is if we see more capex so if we see you know unlocking so last year there was risk aversion even from a capex point of view and the cost of borrowing was high so if we see even a sign of this borrowing coming down capex will increase it's good for the banks it's also good for the fixed income market overall it's a, as a sector it is more attractive so you've written a book for the clueless so can you like break down capex <laughs> <laughs> Okay so I'll, I I mean one of the biases that we carry in terms of you know investment decisions is we we assume that what happened last year is going, going to happen now, this year mm-hmm. right? with fixed income that is one of the things that has happened over the last 2 3 years fixed income has been a, a beaten down asset class if you look at your portfolio if it was fixed income you'll be like why did i even bother doing this fixed income i could have right. held cash yes and i'm saying that viewpoint needs to be tempered it doesn't mean that you know it has to be put, you know all in in fixed income but i think that view has to be tempered where you allow now fixed income to become part of your portfolio versus last year where it was a very clear uh, outlook that it should not be a significant portion because of the risk of inflation so that's how i would uh, say in terms of not to let the past view or past experience on fixed income and small caps and financials all of these you know sectors to affect uh, the investment decisions uh, today and mm-hmm. in, the, in the same logic by the way would be to reduce allocation to big tech because last year big mm. tech was a significant outperformer and it was a great place to be today i would reduce that because big tech is good to have but not to be overweight uh, like last year that is fantastically interesting i think because we're trying to figure out our way towards um asset allocations also figuring out what could be the best performing asset class in in the coming year what do you think equity i feel still uh, is something which should give you your double uh, digit returns mm. at least s&p 500 i would say should, should you know hit above 5200 5300 mm. um instead of predicting the path the way i would see the asset allocation would be to use the the fed meeting you know milestones yeah as a way to see how fed is reacting 
mm-hmm. and then to calibrate the portfolio so i think the rebalancing should be timed with the fed meetings rather than trying to predict uh, when we will see uh, you know a correction in the market or when do we see volatility because we will see it we don't know when we will see it so some say for the traditional 60 40 portfolio 2022 was the worst year in in a while um and until the fed's most recent guidance for 2024 asset returns have been significantly under pressure what do you make of that argument but things have changed so if you see last 6 months earnings have changed uh, earnings uh, you know they've taken a turn you're seeing uh, corporate profitability improve now we would like to see all of that continue we are seeing us gdp you know because today the all the headlines are about how it's overtaking china and 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 so so there is a clear positive happening and if you look at asia countries like india indonesia there is a strong domestic uh, story which is there on the back of both consumer spending and positive government spending so there are enough positive stories also happening now from a valuation point of view yes mm-hmm. you can see mm-hmm. a pull back right so mm-hmm. imagine a scenario when in march fed comes and kind of sends a message that inflation is still a concern unemployment is still a concern and so they are not going to talk about any rate cuts for the for the rest of the year now that may result in a 5% 7% 10% pull back in the equity market but i wouldn't that take that as a sign that i should stay in cash because of that uh, fear Okay. That's the point. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um what do you say to investors who are wondering if a reversal in monetary policy is expected from the US? What does that mean for me? So any uh, reversal or if you see uh, a easing, let's say easing as a policy. What we have to know is when easing happens, what are the sectors that benefit from that easing and do i have some allocation to those sectors so that i can create a small 2 to 5% 10% outperformance in my overall portfolio so the first is to not link easing to a decision whether i should invest or not or a policy reversal as to whether i should invest or not it's mm-hmm. more to say where can i go overweight and underweight so in this case if there is a reversal where easing starts and rate cut starts then what are the sectors that benefit the so small caps you know you'll have some uh, uh, you'll have benefit in cyclicals you'll see materials home building these kind of sectors so those etfs need to have a place in the portfolio which means if that event happens yeah then you will get that outperformance now if that event doesn't happen mm-hmm. you have the rest of the portfolio to act as a defense and you'll have to wait for this event to uh, play out so that's how i would link the any policy decision to what it means for the portfolio and what it should be uh, buying or selling or rebalancing. Yeah, if I extrapolate from that, I mean basically are you saying that if we do see monetary policy reversal, we need to think about how to move overall from a defensive stance stance to a more constructive stance? Absolutely. Okay. And look for those opportunities, right? Yeah, and 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 that's where staying invested becomes uh, important uh, in in that scenario. So even if the reversal doesn't happen it uh, it it still allows some asset classes to to play a role where they give you at least some income just sitting on the side waiting for that perfect correction to happen you know if you're waiting for 4300 on S&P 500 to mm. invest then good luck because you don't know when it's going to happen if it is going to happen <laughs> So Abhinav Mishra joining me today he's founder of Wealth Zen and an adjunct mentor at Singapore University and the man behind a great new book about investing for the uh clueless the sleepless the <laughs> everybody that's everybody basically um are there any investment themes worth looking out for up now for 2024 i mean if you look at global fixed oh, no we we talked a little bit about fixed income let's just move to investment trends worth looking out for uh 
I think financials is one thing which is uh, which is going to play a role. I think uh, that's a sector which is which has been uh, under uh, as in you know because of this entire inflation and concerns on interest rate that's a sector which has been ignored so i would say financials is one okay. the second is real estate mm-hmm. um i I'm, i'm not seeing so much of this in the news but i feel in, uh, if we do see uh, the easing on the interest rate and you know the lowering of interest rates then that's one sector which will benefit uh, very quickly for sure yeah. so i would say reits is uh, at a global level so not mm-hmm. just singapore but mm-hmm. at a global level we can see reits as a as a play this year interesting anything else and, to add yeah and any kind of ai innovation if we see something significant it may lead to improvement in productivity that's again good from an inflation point of view because increased productivity is, is a positive so that's something which will be you know it could be a positive surprise for the second half where we're really seeing some major innovation uh, coming from the uh, from all the hype that we saw last year which delivers something this year because last year was more hype on the ai front but this mm. year we could see actual solution services which are leading to you know like a contribution you think more of the focus will 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 move away from the glitzy ai apps to uh, maybe the ai value chains and semiconductors nvidia amd broadcom those sort of oh, yeah, things absolutely. i mean the only reason it it would not move to these uh, semiconductors is if the innovation is such that they don't have a dependency on them that's I mean that is a that's a serious innovation. But I would yeah. say in the normal course of things, as the AI solutions get integrated into services uh, and workflows, you will see a improvement both for the uh, workflow and for the uh, you, you know your semiconductor and the related industries who are uh, directly going to benefit from that. So yes, I, I do think uh, uh, the integration. is um, is going to happen and it will it will be a positive. A lot of people wondering what geopolitics could mean for risks in 2024. I think it's the year where we're going to see the most number of elections that we've seen in a while and people expecting this could have messy consequences if we look at uh, geopolitical realignment what's going what might happen in the US for example. Um elections also playing out in Indonesia. We're going to talk about emerging markets in a while. But more broadly, do you think that um geopolitics is going to add significant risks to markets in 2024 so i would say geopolitical events uh, add uncertainty and uncertainty typically in any equity market or any risk market uncertainty is something which is not welcome and yes. it it translates <laughs> into either people cashing out or people panicking and sometimes just one decision of panic can actually trigger further losses because you know you just spiraled out of control which is which is also a problem in 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 today's day and age where you can trade really fast yeah so uh, for for us that is a real risk because uh, like unlike like india for example uh, if you look at any of the market outlooks they are pricing in the fact that the government will come back to power there'll be stability there'll be continuity that's a positive for the equity market and that's how the market is pricing in uh in case of us i think right now we are not seeing it but as it emerges as to who are the key uh, you know whether it will really be a trump biden thing and and how it shapes up it is definitely a factor that will contribute to one uncertainty and hence a risk aversion which leads to uh, investors getting out and um, but for a long term investor i would still say uh, all of any geopolitical event uncertainty i would still consider as a buying opportunity because they tend to uh, resolve themselves over a period of you know 3 months 3 months 6 months 9 months or even if they don't resolve they become uh, you know they don't influence the market decisions 
What do you think will be the best performing equity market in 2024? As a sector, I would bet on small cap, which would then include even emerging markets mm. to some extent. Yeah, I would say uh, I would I would go with uh, emerging markets and small caps. So you're expecting Asian equity markets to be performers worth looking at? Asia X China. Yes, yes. Very important point that. There's more to Asia other than China. So there's Australia, there's Indonesia, there's India, there's many others. Okay. Uh, what do you, can you help break down for the clueless, what is going on with China's stock markets? So I would say China is the the other extreme of, you know, we've, we've seen in case of India, there's, there's a very authoritarian style of governing and they've made decisions on their own. You've seen that similar thing in China, except it has had the exact opposite outcome. So they have not been able to support the business. They have not been able to create liquidity for the market. They've not been able to uh, get the you know, real estate sector going. They've not been able to do the consumer spending happening. So somehow the in the recovery from COVID, the optimism that we saw last year at the start of 2023 that China is going to emerge uh, uh, very strong after the COVID impact actually has turned out to be not such a rosy story. And some of these issues are structural and they are not something that can be propped up on the basis of just, a, you know, the Chinese central bank stepping in and buying some ETFs or buying some stocks. It can't be done in that manner because uh, there are deeper issues and will require uh, more time and and, uh, and and some effort. So which is why I would, I would say for again, for a for an investor, it's important to see the signs of that improvement before jumping in with the idea that oh, because this has come down 30%, it will go up 30%. That, that logic is oversimplified because it is not a momentary sentimental reason why the Chinese equity market or China, I mean, there is there is a negative outlook on China. It's a more structural issue. Okay. And what's happening in China has impacted, of course, what happens in surrounding markets. This week, we learned that India briefly surpassed Hong Kong to claim the rank of fourth biggest equity market in the world, which means India trails behind only US, China and Japan. Really fascinating uh, to see how much it's grown over the past four years, nearly doubled the size of its equity market, while Hong Kong's, um, struck by China's woes, no doubt, has shrunk by half since its peak in 2021. So we like putting these questions, provocative questions out to our guests. Yesterday, Arun um, Arun Pai had a great answer. Do you think India could overtake China um, in the in the long run? In the long run, that is the ambition, and they are taking the steps in that direction for sure. Um, and like any strategy, any direction, any confidence, there are mitigants to it. There are risk elements around it. But uh, so far, the way they have managed uh, the if if you just look at the way they have uh, spent on infrastructure, uh, that alone in the last you know four five years. Is a, is going to contribute to improvement in productivity, uh, and businesses will benefit from that. I think that's a positive. How they navigate the uh, the you know the entire secular dialogue uh, and narrative that that remains to be seen. Whether it will die down after election because that's where it plays a role and they'll focus again on the economy or not. But on this path, and if we don't see, of course, in case of China, a material change in their approach, right, where they are able to fix the problems that they are facing. If they are not able to fix and if India continues, I would say, yes, it is uh, at least on track to uh, give them uh, some sleepless nights. (laughs) Mm. So you think India has all the right ingredients to set the growth growth momentum moving further? Yeah, they have the they have the they have the demographic demographics in their favor. So that's again something which is quite helpful. Definitely, uh, rapidly growing retail base, yeah. world's most populous country. Um, Absolutely, we're seeing this rally in Indian stocks for sure. 
um, coinciding with this historic slump in Hong Kong stocks. Uh, when we look at valuations, though, what is your general overview of uh, Indian stocks versus Chinese stocks right now? Valuation, I mean, definitely Indian valuations are stretched mm. and they are kind of expecting things to just continue the way they have. They've almost seen a secular bull run. So the level of optimism, I mean, I was there in December. Mm. It's just uh, it's unbelievable the amount of optimism uh, that is there on the ground in terms of both business and growth. And and typically, uh, that's that's a sign of uh, at least valuation correction. So clearly, if there is an event that happens which which is a which uh, which challenges the outcome, election outcome, that can uh, cause nervousness and there is a quick pullback that may happen. But at a macro level, I think the the story is is intact. And uh, the biggest contributor, I would say, is the infrastructure spending mm. that India has seen. And uh, while in case of uh, China, we have seen all of that as a, you know, they've clamped down on everything. You know, they're not letting businesses do what they should be doing. They're interfering with everything. You do all of that, it's not it's not supporting the business and ultimately that is what you need. Uh, the government is not running the country. The business is also playing. Given, and that's where we have placed. Given all we've talked about, what do you think and how should investors weigh their options when thinking about diversifying their portfolios for 2024? So one is asset class. I think diversity across asset class is very important. Cash still plays a role, but it should not be at, you know, 50, 60%. If you're a, if you're a 60, 40 balanced investor with a three to five year outlook, you may have up to 20% cash. More than that is, is detrimental. It can uh, you know, eat away into the returns. Second is uh, diversifying in terms of just using instruments like S&P 500 to um, so the core of the portfolio can be used with these kind of diversified ETFs. So you don't have to worry about stock level diversification. Okay. And the sectors or themes that you like and you want to play out, you, it's possible to use uh, ETFs for that or even stocks. So if you say that, okay, I want to I want to add some REITs to the portfolio, that's possible to pick five Singapore REITs and say, okay, these are the five that I want to invest in. But otherwise, I would restrict the uh, diversification structure to use other uh, you know, mutual fund ETFs and then uh, less of these single stocks, unless you're trading, of course. Fantastic. Um, and, yeah. That's it. That's All right. For more, you can read his book. So, Neil, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> and I must say, before I leave, in terms of the song that I could think of. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> yes, the song that mirrors stock markets today. What is it? <laughs> so, that's the Roadhouse Blues. Keep your eyes on the road and along the wheel. But the key point here being eyes on the road means you need to be on the road and be invested. <laughs> Don't be on the side part. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the road, people, and your hands on the wheel. I love that. Thank you so much, Swapnil. And his book, by the way, Investing for the Clueless, Reckless and Overly Cautious. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you all so much for being with me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.